Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. Welcome to Entrepreneurs Visiting Victor. I'm your host, Victor Dadash. I hope you're having an amazing day so far. Today, we have an awesome guest. He is an accomplished film and stage performer and has been acting in film and television since he was six years old after his father passed away suddenly in a motor vehicle accident. He has appeared in productions including Freddy vs. Jason, Door to Door, Carrie, and the musical Ragtime. He is passionate about helping others confidently take the stage and impact an audience with their stories. He is currently the managing director of Total Buy-In and author of the number one best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked. And today he works with executives and CEOs, helping them show up powerfully behind the mic to gain the exposure they need. He is also a veteran podcast guest with over 300 appearances and episodes ranging from leadership, safety, to overcoming adversity. So let us welcome Tyler Foley. How are you doing today, Tyler? Oh, I'm doing really well, Victor. How are you? Oh, I am doing great. It's a pleasure having you on, Tyler. I'd like to get started by asking you to please share your story. How did you wind up becoming an entrepreneur? Well, it, it's very circuitous. And you had pointed out, I started acting at six years old. And so I've been uh, essentially self-employed all my life and earning my own paycheck. Um, acting has always been kind of that buzz for me and something that I, I continue to do. But once I had been in the industry for over 20 years, I did what most people do after a 20-year career and I retired. The difference was is I had started at six, so my retirement was at 25. And I went back to school, got an engineering discipline under my belt, um, started my own company doing... Um, photogrammetry, which is just a really fancy way of saying I made picture maps of the earth. So anybody who's ever turned on satellite view on Google, uh, that's what I did. I stitched together those images to make the the pictures of the ground that you can measure. Uh, unfortunately, that business uh, failed uh, due to a couple of different circumstances, the least of which was the death of my business partner. And uh, so I had to kind of scramble and do what most people do. And that is, you know, the new buzzword is pivot. And that's exactly what I did. I had to get a whole bunch of safety training for the work that I was doing. So when you are in the geographic information business, uh, your primary clients are usually oil and gas or the government, both of whom require you to have a health and safety management system. And so I had to put together a system and when the business collapsed, I still had all the training and a friend of mine reached out to me and said, I could really use a safety manager for a year for this big project. Would you like to do it? And so I signed on with him. And at the end of the year, he said, you know, you've got a real knack for this. You should probably go and, and continue on. And so I created my own shingle and I've been doing safety consulting for the last um, dozen years. And what was interesting was the safety consulting rapidly became speaker training because I found that the hardest thing for people to do was communicate why they were in safety. And uh, so we started creating programs around better um, toolbox talks, um, tailbox talks, field level uh, discussions, getting CEOs to give better sale, uh, presentations when it came to safety. And then that just kind of evolved into general public speaking. And it's, again, a gift that I've had since I was six years old. So I might as well give it to the world. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So basically, you've been self-employed entrepreneur pretty much since you were six years old. You started acting back then, and you did it for 20 years. So, 
And then you went back to school. You started your own company, uh, which was making photo maps of the earth. And eventually it failed. Um, and part of the reason why is because your business partner uh, passed away, unfortunately. And then um, after that, you, you started pivoting and you went into safety management and you started working with oil companies and other types of companies. And basically your focus has been on safety because of which led to public speaking. But I used to get, you know, to start focusing at the, at the beginning as you did acting. So you did this for a whole bunch of years and you stopped after about 20 years around the age of 25. So uh, what made you, uh, what made you, that was one of your early pivots. What made you pivot from acting to going into going back to school? Well, I I had become quite complacent with uh, with acting. Um, again, I'd been doing it for twenty years, and it was the kind of thing where I was starting to phone in performances, and I wasn't excited about going out to auditions anymore. I remember distinctly the moment that I decided I should probably step away from it, and it was uh, I had auditioned for a very large production, and my agent phoned me and said, "You have a call back." And at the time, I was actually living outside of where we were typically filming. I was I was filming in Vancouver, but I was living in the interior of British Columbia here in Canada. And it was about a four-hour commute for me to get home, uh, which was an easy thing to do because when you're acting, you only ever work, you know, two, three, four days a month. You come, you do your gig, you go back. And uh, and so I would sit around. If I needed to go in for an audition, it, was a, it wasn't a, an easy drive, but it wasn't a hard drive. And then it was a lot more affordable to live on the interior and make those acting dollars stretch. And there is a point about midway through the drive where you get to a city called Hope in British Columbia. And then you enter into a national park, a provincial park, actually, a Manning Park. But there's no cell reception for almost 45 minutes. And my agent phoned literally five minutes before I was about to enter this dead zone. And she's like, you have a call back. And I was like, cool. When tip, I had just done the audition. So I was on my way back and typically uh callback is two, three, four days later, maybe a week later. Uh, so I thought I had time. She's like, they'd like to see you back, you know, right now, how quickly can you get to the studio? And it was a two hour drive back. So I was either two hours back or two hours home. And I didn't want to go back. It's a callback. Most actors, like we wait for auditions. You get a callback. That is like, that's the second best thing to actually booking the gig. And yet I was completely complacent. I was like, I don't want to do this. I'd rather just go home and hang out at the beach. And it was at that point that I realized there were other people who were hungrier than I was that wanted these opportunities more than I did. And I should probably get out of their way. And, um, you know, everybody had said, if you want, you know, you'll never get a house. You'll never do all these things that, quote unquote, adults and, and responsible people are supposed to do. So I decided the you know, the responsible thing was take the money that I'd made in acting over the last 20 years and go back to school and and get reacquainted with the educational system. Yeah, I know. Thanks for sharing that. And, uh, and, and I, I want to link what you learned in acting a little bit to what you're doing today, because I could definitely see um, a connection between uh, between but. Um, I'd like to ask you just a couple more questions. So I would say, I guess you got complacent after all these years. You felt like you were in a rut. You, you lost the fire, the desire. Um, and, and, and you realize that when you go into Hope, British Columbia, you're about to enter this part, which had no signals for 45 minutes right before you got in. Your agent calls, said they wanted, they, you got a call, but they wanted to see you. And you realize that it didn't really interest you anymore. You said, you know, you, you didn't have that drive. And you said, 
I would leave the photo active, let them focus on it because they really want it more than I do. And that's when you decide to use that activity and go back to school and pivot to something different. Now, a couple of things when you were acting. So, you know, things you talk about is one is, um, and, and I'm going to link it to what you're doing now, like overcoming uh, a state trend. And where does it come from? Because obviously there are a lot of people, you know, and I guess it's probably more common when you get started. So where does it come from and how does a person overcome stage fright? Well, the quickest way to overcome stage fright is to recognize what stage fright is. And a lot of people will say that it's a fear of public speaking and it is not. Um, most people, uh, in fact, a lot of the surveys and, and uh, studies will state that over 70% of Americans express anxiety around public speaking, that they have some form of fear when it comes to presenting in public. And the reality is, if we were actually afraid of speaking in public, uh, commerce as we know it would collapse. There would be absolutely no ability for us to transact day to day because we are required as part of that transaction to speak in public. So public speaking is not an issue. And if anybody is going, well, no, no, Tyler, I think it is. If anybody who is listening to this, Victor, has ever ordered food in a restaurant, particularly if you didn't know your wait staff, not only did you speak in public, you spoke to a complete stranger, you asked for what you wanted and you got it. So this notion that we're afraid to speak in public or we're afraid to speak to strangers or we're afraid to ask for what we want is null and void if you've ever gone to a restaurant and gotten your food delivered to your table. The reality is, and I can hear the audience right now, Victor, oh, yeah, but the restaurant isn't looking at me when I order my food. And if that is your justification for why you are afraid to speak in public, then that is a clear indicator of what the actual fear is. And the actual fear is public judgment. If we're on stage or if we're in a, in a scenario where we are the center of attention, the focus is on us, and you're nervous, you're not nervous to speak in public, you're nervous of public judgment. And it's the public judgment that we need to overcome. So a couple of things that we need to recognize, if we are in the position where people are looking at us, we are the authority because we don't ask second best to present. So even if you were voluntold in your day-to-day -day job by a superior and they said, you have to present this presentation to our staff, uh, to the boardroom or something of that nature, they're asking you because nobody else could do it better than you. They, we need your expertise. So you are the expert. The other thing you need to realize is that the audience is automatically on your side. We want the speaker to succeed. Nobody is actually judging you as hard as you are judging you. It's the internal judgment. That's the hardest part. Recognizing that the audience is there and is on your side at the worst in the scenario where maybe they've been voluntold that they have to come to this meeting and you've been voluntold that you have to present it. Your audience is passively indifferent. They don't care, but what they don't want is for it to suck. So they want you to succeed. Their hope is that it isn't a waste of their time. So recognizing that the audience is on your side, that you are the expert, and that the majority of the judgment that you are receiving is coming from you yourself. As soon as you start to flip the script and the narrative and you're like, I am the expert, the audience is on my side, and I have the ability to say how this presentation goes you now take control of that narrative. And that is 90% of overcoming stage fright is tackling that mental game. No, that's some very interesting viewpoints. Um, uh, things I didn't think about, but it does make sense. 
Uh, you know, we do public speaking all the time. Like you said, most commerce would not happen if we didn't not have public speaking. You go into a restaurant, you order food, you're ordering it to a stranger. You rarely know the waiter and you want you, you say what you order is. You're not afraid to vocalize it. And we do it at many other places, stores and stuff like that. And, but, and I agree with you. I think the, the vast majority of time, the actual fear is the fear of public judgment because we're the center. We're fear, we're fearful of what people are going to think when we talk that we're afraid of messing up and we're going to say, oh, this guy doesn't know anything. He's an idiot. This thing is boring. But like you said, the vast majority of the time, that's it's inner cause. It's caused by us. We have that fear. And like you said, a place is not going to ask you to speak in an event unless they believe you are an authority, you know what you're talking about. And like you said, the public wants you to succeed. They want a good talk. They want a good speech because they, they want they want to get something out of it. So they're cheering you on. And 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 if there's certain things you may or may not know, the little things, they're not aware of it. So you don't need to bring it up. So share the good things that you know, the the things that can help and 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 just be confident. Just and and I think um would you say also uh preparation is important you know rehearsing and would you also recommend visualizing the speech going well in front of an audience you think that's helpful oh absolutely and that's all part of that mental game flipping that switch uh, flipping the script rewiring what we're saying to ourselves because as you had pointed out a lot of that negative self-talk is um is first of all not helpful and it's also not true. We're, we're, we're creating a lie because, and we can test this too. I can prove to your audience right now that what they're saying in their head is not the reality because if it was the reality, then everybody who tuned in to listen to us today, Victor, would have had something like this before they hit play. Man, I hope Victor's guest today sucks. I hope this Tyler guy has nothing to contribute. I hope that uh victor has a horrible interview i hope the guest has nothing to say i'm pretty sure the guy has no clue and is really just a fraud and is fronting itself right if that was what your audience was actually thinking uh why did they tune in for one why did they show up uh be unless they're absolute masochists and i'll give it maybe there's a 0.01 percent <laughs> of the audience out there who is who is hoping for the train wreck and wants to see the failure but the majority of people came in wanting to be educated or entertained or both. They were hoping that you and I have a very positive flowing conversation where they learn something. And as long as you and I deliver, we've done our job. And my goal as a speaker is to just leave someone better than I found them. And so if you can focus on that as a speaker, that becomes the mental game and that becomes the preparation. And I'm glad you brought up preparation because the majority of people actually prepare for speeches incorrectly. They spend so much time trying to memorize a script as opposed to um, really knowing their, their content. And so knowing your content and memorizing a script are two totally different things. Memorizing a script is word for word for word for word, and there is no deviation. Knowing your content means that you are the expert, that if somebody was to ask you a question that you could riff and free flow in any form or manner, you know what your talking points are. You are able to bring things back to your wheelhouse of knowledge, but you are able to do that in a free flow and organic manner. And that's, that's really the key to preparation. So yes, visualization, picturing yourself in the audience succeeding, picturing yourself 
um, delivering a fantastic talk, taking the time to know your material in and out so that you aren't locked to a script. Because the problem with being locked to a script is if I need to go, like I just came back from the LA Times International Festival of Books. Fantastic event. It was a great thing. My book was being showcased there. So I had the opportunity to go and speak and do some signings. Now, if I memorize a script, it's like me saying that for me to get to LA, I'm going to be on Air Canada flight 223 that departs at seven o'clock at night. And that is the only option that I have. So what happens? Maybe the plane goes mechanical. Maybe the there's a, a medical emergency on the runway just before we take off and we have to go back to the gate. If my entire plan is locked onto AC flight 223 from Vancouver to LA, I can never get to LA. But if I know I need to start in Vancouver, more specifically, I needed to start in Calgary and get to LA, now I have options. Hey, who, who needs to get there quick? Let's go take a flight. We have a little bit more time. Maybe we take the train. We've got a little bit more time. Maybe we take the, the car. Maybe our car breaks down halfway through and we have to get from Wyoming to LA in, you know, by bicycle or by walking or however we need to get there. I have options if I don't lock myself in. And that's the difference between script and knowing your material. Knowing your material knows, you know what your beginning point is, you know what your end point is and how we get there is entirely flexible. Memorizing a script is I am on this one flight at this one time. And if I miss even a minute of it, I am train wrecked. Because if you're locked into a script and you forget the words, you have nowhere to go. No, I, and I think that was a great comparison. You know, you know, if you, you know, you only, only one way of getting there, you know, that flight, if you missed it, you're in big trouble. But if there are various ways of doing it and you, you allot enough time, you know, you can go by train, by car, bicycling. So, so you give yourself many different options, but if you lock yourself into one thing, like you do with uh, memorizing the script, it's uh, it can cause a whole lot of problems. But if you know the content and you focus on that and sharing that knowledge that you you you've developed, it's going to be far more effective than just trying to memorize the script. Because like if it, it's your lock yourself in, it's going to cause so many more problems. So again, I think that was a great comparison. And uh, another thing I'd like to ask you about, which I'm sure is very, you know, use a lot when you talk, is talk about the importance of story because I think a lot of people don't understand that they they sometimes just want to share all the facts and the figures, and I think that very often just loses the audience. So you might talk about the importance of story. Well, Les Brown says it better than anyone else that I've ever come across. You never make a point without a story, and you never tell a story without a point. Story is what connects us. It's uh, how we can gain empathy and sympathy with each other. They say never, you know, judge a person until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Well, I can't physically come down and walk in your shoes right now, Victor. But if you tell me a story, I can metaphorically do that. I can see the world through your eyes. I can visualize your viewpoint. And the more specific the story is, the more universal it will speak to your audience. And that's something I actually learned speaking with Bo Eason, um, you know, and he did a phenomenal job when he did his pivot from being a football player to a Broadway actor. I mean, that is a, that is a hard pivot, right? And he was able to do it because he told his story and he told his story and he was very specific and detailed in how he did it. And now he 
teaches public speaking to, to audiences all over again, another pivot because he has a really good skill set of, of getting people to understand. So your story told correctly has the ability to bring your audience in and create context. See statistics without context are just that they're just numbers on a page. It's without context they do nothing. When they are given context, there is meaning behind those numbers. And context usually comes through storytelling. So, you know, it, it leads to the old sales adage, stats tell, but stories sell. If you want to sell your viewpoint, you need to back it up with a story. Remembering Les Brown's point, you never make a point without a story and you never tell a story without a point. You need to have a reason behind why you tell that story so that when you tell it, it lands the point you're trying to make. No, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up Les Brown. You know, never make a point without a story, you know, and you never tell a story without a point. It's very, very important because it, it people can understand, they can relate to you, and it, it makes you more human. And and they say, I, I get where he's coming from. It, it speaks to my, my heart. I can totally feel what he's trying to tell me. And, you know, you brought up stats or facts tell and story sell. It's a story that's going to sell the points of people or sell products or anything. People love stories. It's it's We've been that way since we were born. We were little kids. We like hearing stories from our parents. They like reading us stories before we go to bed. We love those bedtime stories. And people just love hearing stories. And, like, sometimes you hear facts, they're like, okay, they'll tune in out. But when you get to a story about something that happened to you, they're like, they, they start listening. Say, ah, I I might get something out of this because they can relate to it. So something that's very powerful. And I, when you tell stories, it helps you to engage with the audience more. So I think that's one way to powerfully engage with the audience. Are there any other uh, things uh, a speaker can do to, to help engage more with the audience as well? Oh, yeah. the Like you said, stories are that beginning. Uh, the next thing is, is connect with your audience. If you are uh, given a presentation and or, or more specifically asked to give a presentation and say you've been given 45 minutes for a keynote or something of the like. One of the things that you're going to want to really consider doing is um, not speaking for the full 45. I know that sounds crazy, but the your goal, if you are talking the whole time, you're having a monologue with your audience. And really the key to engagement is dialoguing with your audience, checking in with them. And the more frequently you can do that, the more engaged your audience will be. So I, you know, I hate when, when speakers leave Q&A to the end. Don't leave Q&A to the end. Speak about it in the moment when it is fresh, when, when a point needs to be made. Because here's the thing. If your audience is asking a question in the moment, it means you weren't clear enough with your instruction or with the delivery of your presentation. This is your chance to correct on the fly. Making it go until the end, it doesn't serve anybody. Because A, your audience is very likely already lost if you are having questions midway through. B, uh, you want them to feel that they're engaged. So if you make them so they have to wait on the question, they're gonna spend their whole time trying to remember that question and then they've tuned you out. And that's how you start to get that disconnect. A, a monologue is the most dangerous thing you can do, which is, again, why I really strongly encourage everybody to get away from a scripted presentation. You want to engage your audience, lose the script, learn the, learn the material, learn the bullet points, and then engage them, ask questions. If they don't have any questions, then you're doing a really good job, but you have the ability to do it. And if you're scanning your audience and you see that you're losing them, 
one of the quickest things and one of the the, the secret pro tri- uh, tricks that I use uh, all the time is just have your audience turn to one another and share one takeaway that they've gotten so far, because that will reinforce your message. It'll give you a chance to sit and reset, see how the uh, program is going, see if you need to do any um, mid-presentation adjustments to how you're delivering. Uh, and it also gives you a chance to take a pulse of the room because you can listen to what some of the responses are. You can ask for a bubble up at the end and, and okay, somebody who, who wants to share one of the takeaways that they have, that gives you the opportunity to reinforce the messaging or correct the messaging if it's incorrect. Uh, for so many reasons, you want to be continually checking in with your audience and asking for questions. Yeah, no, I totally agree. You want to be totally checking in throughout because uh, especially in, in, in this time and age, uh, people have very short attention spans. So if it comes across like, like a script, it's a monologue, you're going to lose them after a while. So I, I agree. I, I like the idea of like having Q&A throughout, like any questions, um, you know, it, you know, because if you lost after 10 minutes, you want to know what's going on instead of waiting until the end, it could definitely, definitely lose them. So yeah, and, and I like the idea of just having, you know, from time to time, have the audience turn to each other and ask what's uh, takeaway, one takeaway they got from it. So, yeah, the more you have them engaged, the better it is that they're going to feel like a part and they'll like you more. So, like, asking questions or asking them, do they have any questions throughout? Yeah, having a monologue for 45 minutes, it, it gets boring after a while. But if people get involved, they feel a part of it. They just said, I just like this guy. I just trust him. So, I agree. Those are some really good points you shared there. Now, um, Another question, because of all the things you've done throughout, you know, you have several different pivots. So obviously your why has probably changed over the course of the, you know, the decades. Um, how would someone discover their why? Because you know, a lot of times people say you want to be successful, you need to find out what your why is, because if you don't, um, it's you really don't know what you're going to do. So how does one find discover their why? Um, if it's if it's a requirement for you, like so a lot of times we we're looking for that that why because we need to justify our behavior. And um, for me, I, I do have some, some driving internal psyches and you are correct, they have changed over the years. I mean, uh, when I was younger, a need for attention and an, an outlet for emotion was, was my driving why. Now my driving why is my daughter and, and um, making sure that she has the the best opportunities available to her without spoiling her <laughs> rotten so that she has the ability to make her own decisions and and lead her own life and discover who she is on her own um but i find that one of the fastest ways to find your why is actually a activity that i learned through my safety consulting so whenever there is uh an incident and you need to do an investigation on to why something happened. There are many different um, kind of techniques that you can use to do those investigations. There's one called Taproot, and there's another one called the Swiss Cheese Model. The one that I like, I absolutely love the methodology behind it, but I hate the name. The name is called the Five Whys. And what I like about it is it's very simple and you just ask why. Uh, the reason I don't like it is because it's named the five whys, and that indicates that you only ever ask why five times. And the reality is you ask why until you can't ask why anymore. So I actually call it the McKenzie principle because when my daughter McKenzie was three, four, five years old, discovering the world and not knowing why things were the way they were, 
with the curiosity that can that purely unsatiated curiosity of a five-year-old she would ask why 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 and then she would not stop asking why until she had was satisfied with the answer and i think when we're looking for our why we need to do a real true deep dive into who we are and internally ask those questions why so if you want to be an entrepreneur why well because i'm tired of working for somebody else why because i'm tired of somebody else controlling my schedule i'm tired of somebody else controlling my wage earnings okay why well because i want to have the ability to do the opposite of that why so that I have the ability to do X, Y, Z. And you got to keep asking why until you drill down to well, ultimately, why is this important? And understand, and this is the thing that where I, I love listening to Simon Sinek. I think he is a fantastic and brilliant mind. I think he is one of the greatest uh, consultants and, and just strategists that our time has created. But what I don't like about the why is the idea that it can only be one. Very similar to an incident investigation, I feel you can have multiple whys. We are not defined by singularity. Human beings are complex emotional beings. And I think it's entirely possible to have multiple motivating factors. I think it's, it's, important to get into the deep rooted psyche of them. So don't be lazy when you're deep diving into your why, but understand that you could have multiple whys. You know, you can have this ability to be a complex individual and have multiple motivating factors. Just understand that along with your why, you're going to have a hierarchy of values and they are, they may or may not shift over time and will impact why your whys are what they are. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, for you, your your whys has changed over the years, and you know now your big why is your daughter because you want the best opportunities for her to make decisions while not spoiling her. And and then one of the things you learned was you know through your safety consulting why something else. He has all these whys questions, like you said, and and one of the names you gave was named after your daughter Mackenzie, called the Mackenzie Principle or the Five Whys, or and 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 just keep drilling deep down because very often the, with the first why you have is really not it's a superficial why this way you keep asking why is that and you, like you said kids are great at it they will keep asking until they get an answer that they like that's satisfactory to them. and we have to do the same thing because like you said you drill down four or five six times you'll get that you'll eventually get to the core why the really important why why this thing is so important to you and i agree you can have multiple whys we are definitely complex uh, human beings. We have a lot of different needs and values, and there's a hierarchy of values. I definitely agree with that. So that definitely, I love the way you you share that because um, drilling down for your was, I think, is an excellent way to find out what your true core why is. And the last thing I like to ask you about is because you you do have a book that was a best selling book uh, called "The Power to Speak Naked." So you mind talk a little bit about what you have in that book for our audience to know? Yeah. Yeah. So the power to speak naked, it actually came about from the training program, uh, right? When we started in the safety consulting, I had a program called basic instructional technique. 
And it was really public speaking 101, but we didn't want to tell people that it was public speaking because the majority of our target audience were uh, supervisors and mid-level managers who had been thrust into the supervisory position, were forced to give these daily, weekly, monthly presentations, didn't feel comfortable doing it, and subsequently avoided at all costs, this public speaking portion of their job. So to say, well, you're going to take a course on public speaking where you're going to be public speaking around other people, they just wouldn't come and attend. So you call it basic instructional technique so that you can give instruction to your staff. And somehow they went, oh yeah, no, that that's okay. And then showing them everything that we've discussed today where listen, the audience is on your side. They're more terrified to be doing it than you are. You actually are the authority or you wouldn't have this position. Um, so trusting yourself, trusting your audience and start to find your stories. So we would go and we would explore their stories. And over the course of time, basic instructional technique evolved and it stopped being a safety presentation geared specifically towards foremen on construction sites and started to become a general, more broader uh, presentation on giving presentations, and then became a very specific training in this aspect of public speaking. And so once I had the course really dialed in, what we did was we took the course, transcribed it, and put it into the book, augmented it with a little bit more information so that there, again, was context to it, because context is key. And I filled it in with personal anecdotes and stories of my own to illustrate why it's important to do the things that we do. So it's a very easy to digest uh, book. Um, it's 10 chapters. According to my publisher, I think that the read time on it is uh, officially 114 minutes. So it's under two hours to read this book. It's the kind of thing that you can consume on, on a flight or on a commute in. Um, and really we deep dive into the, the general and the basics of good communication. So we discuss your opportunities as a speaker, but hint they're endless. They are everywhere. That's why I actually created my um, private Facebook group named endless stages because your opportunities as a speaker are infinite, uh, really diving into who your audience is, doing an audience analysis so that every time you are delivering your presentation, it is unique and tailored to the people who need to hear it. We talk about the five Ps and the four Ps. So the five Ps being plan, prepare, practice, present, and participate, what that means, how you do it, how to engage and re-engage your audience with some very clear actionable steps. We discussed two of them in the interview today. We have 14 altogether in, the in that specific chapter. I go over secrets and pro tips that I've learned from over 35 years of public speaking, including 10 years as a professional speaker on a circuit, being paid, doing large scale uh, presentations to very large audiences. So we deep dive into that for those who want to take this as, and make it a career. And for the everybody who just wants to give a better presentation and not be boring, um, then we talk about how to develop a pre-talk routine, how to overcome your nerves, discovering what that big why is and why you need to be presenting, and then wrap it up in a bow and, and let people get on with their way. And uh, within the pages of the book, we also have a lot of really good supports. Um, so there's QR codes. You can come and, and download a lot of the resources that we make available within the book. That's awesome. Sounds like there's a lot of great stuff there, a lot of great tips, a lot of great advice for people who want to learn more about public speaking, how they can get better at it, and you know, get paid and stuff like that. 
And like you said, it's according to your publisher, it's uh, less than two hours. So it's a quick read. They can learn a lot. So for those who want to learn more about public speaking, definitely check out that book. Uh, Sarah, listen, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure. You know, a lot of great stuff you shared, a lot of great tips. I know anyone listening to this is good. It is definitely came away with a lot of golden nuggets, a lot of, you know, a lot of great value from it. And Tyler, if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to contact you? Uh, best way is to go to my website, which is SeanTylerFoley.com. Sean is spelled the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y. Uh, let them know that Tyler sent you. Right at the top of the page is a, a invitation to join the endless stages facebook group if you come through my website as opposed to going to mark zuckerberg's site and searching it there and coming through there and you come through my website instead uh we will give you as part of the you signing up we'll give you a free pdf download of the power to speak naked so you don't have to spend 17.95 in the stores you can get the free pdf right through the website i'll also give you access to my drop the mic speakers program which is an introduction to the Power to Speak Naked uh, program as a whole. So we give you seven uh, lessons, all five minutes in length or shorter. So it's the kind of thing you can digest over a coffee over the course of a week. It'll make you a better public speaker. And then again, we'll, you'll get to join the Endless Stages Facebook group where I go live every Tuesday at noon Pacific, three Eastern for 20 minutes and give you insider tips that I have cultivated over the last 30 years. And usually I'm answering questions that come from the group. It's a very active, very engaged group. We try to maintain and cultivate a very good community where people are collaborative within it. And so when somebody asks a question, it goes onto the list for the day and I make sure to answer it during the Tuesday Tyler tips. Awesome. Sounds great. Again, thanks again for being on the show. Have yourself an amazing day. Thank you, Victor. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.